As always, it's good to be here this evening. Um, and uh, as it's been said, we're going to be studying Romans 11 tonight. And uh, I've really, really enjoyed our study of Romans so far. I've enjoyed this chapter. I'm not going to say that uh, it's been easy. Uh, this chapter is, along with the rest of this book, is extremely dense. There's a lot to cover. Uh, and I found in building this lesson that there, there's so much that I wanted to talk about, wanted to get to, but, uh, you know, it's uh, just for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to cover everything. But, uh, like I said, I've really enjoyed this, the, the study of this book. I appreciate the prayer on my behalf. I also appreciate what Jared said after that, is that we would study these things out further. And uh, this chapter, along with the rest of them, they require a lot of study and a lot of meditation in God's Word to understand really what's going on in these chapters. And I'm not up here to tell you that I have it all figured out. I don't. Um, but I hope that I can bring something out in this chapter that would help us better understand this, this chapter in particular in the book of Romans. I think uh, Romans 9 through 11 follow a very similar theme. Uh, really, Romans 1 through 11, we're going to see, or we see, have seen, that Paul has focused on one particular issue, and that is salvation. Uh, that's been the overarching theme. In, other, in, in some of these chapters, he's dealt with God's wrath, his judgment. Uh, uh, many of these chapters and verses were really an indictment on the Jews and their handling of Christ, their attitude towards the Gentiles. Uh, in chapters 5, uh, 4 and 5, Paul deals with uh, faith and the promise of God. And we're going to be talking about that promise tonight and what it means to be elected or what, what, we're, what he's talking about in this chapter when he talks about the election. You know, that, that word's thrown around a lot and we see it referred to in, in previous chapters. And, and there's, we see in the religious world that there tends to be a problem with that word election. And we're going to... Uh, glaze over that a little bit uh, tonight. Like I said, 9 through 11 kind of follow a similar theme. He's talking about Israel. And before I, before I got up here, or before the service started, uh, I was maybe uh, expressing a little bit of my nerves. And, and Mark turned around and he said, why are you nervous? It's good news for Israel. And uh, that's exactly what this chapter is about. And Paul, Paul focuses on that. There's a couple things that I want us to remember while we go through this chapter. Uh, things that we need to keep in mind. I think that for a chapter like this, context is extremely important. In Romans 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So I want us all to remember that, that through this chapter, that the gospel of Christ is for everyone. We can all be called a child of God. It was offered to the Jew and the Gentile. Also, let's turn to Romans 9. I want to go back there, and we're going to be going back to Romans 9 and 10 a lot. Uh, Romans 9, verses 6 through 9 says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all of Israel who are Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. 
But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Also in verses 25 and 26 of that same chapter, he says, uh, 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 well, uh, let me go to it. Basically, we'll read it later, but he says, I will call them my people who are not my people. So we need... These verses imply that there's a distinction between the nation of Israel and those who would follow God or the children of God. And we're going to get into that tonight. So we need to remember those two things tonight. That there's a difference between spiritual Israel or between the nation of Israel and spiritual Israel or children of God. And that, the, and that Christ's grace, God's grace has been offered to, the, to both the Jew and the Greek. So let's, first, let's start here in, uh, in chapter 11 and verses 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So he starts off here by reassuring the Jews that God has not rejected his people. And he starts, uh, he starts off the same, cha- the same way, really, in chapter 10, and he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God, for, to God for Israel is that they may be saved. It's kind of a similar line of thinking there. He's saying that God still wants to have a relationship with Israel. Uh, uh, he says Israel's not been cast away. And Paul points to himself as evidence for that very fact. Paul was an Israelite, but he became a follower of Christ, and now he's working for the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Let's go on to verse 2. God hath not cast away his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah? Now he pleased with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Callan talks a little bit about this last week. Uh, But during the time of King Ahab, Israel turned away from God and they were worshiping idols. And, And Elijah said to God, I'm the only one left. And God reminded him, he said, I have held a remnant of 7,000 prophets that have not bowed the knee to these false idols. He's saying there's also a remnant of Israel, of the nation of Israel, that are sincere, that love God and are seeking to follow him. And some of that remnant had, had already accepted Christ or were seeking Christ, I believe. And you know, this is a little bit of a side note, but it got me to wondering how many Jews there were at the, in Rome and in these churches of Rome at the time uh, Paul was writing this. And, you know, Mark mentioned two weeks ago that there were Jews and Gentiles more than likely in this church. And uh, so I did a little bit of research, and, uh, you know, someone more familiar with history can, can talk can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but what I read some, that in these Christian churches, they were in Rome, they were primarily Jewish up until about A.D. 45 when the, the emperor of that time kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. Uh, and uh, it was only until about 
five years later in 54 AD where the Jews were, were allowed to return. And so they slowly started trickling back into, into Rome. <clears throat> so Paul's letter to the Romans probably ar- arrived around 57 AD is what, uh, is, is what we know. So during that period, there were Jews still trickling back into Rome. But we can see, I think, the, the difficulties that these Jews probably would have trying to assimilate back into these, the, these Gentile churches and uh, the, the culture of the Gentiles. So we can see some of the problems that, might, that come along with that. So no doubt, I believe that really, in a way, Paul was, was using this, this, this remnant, uh, or he was talking about the remnant, maybe to encourage the Jews and the Christian Jews of this time that were feeling, feeling, uh, feeling like they really they were the only Jews that, that were still sincere and wanted to follow God and wanted to accept Christ. Uh, and so what, what Paul is saying here to these, he said there's still a remnant, and this remnant is according to grace, not of works. And we'll go back to verse 5. Even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace, and if by grace it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But, it, but if it is of works, it is no longer, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. He's telling these Jews that you were elected, but it's not because of your works, but it's because of God's grace through your faith in Christ. You know, people have a really hard time with this passage, and there's uh, Calvinists want to, to take this passage about election through grace and say, and they use just a few select chapter or verses in these chapters of Rome, of Romans, and they say, okay, there's a remnant or there's a select few that God has chosen to be saved, and there's others that he's elected to damnation before they were even born. And that is not at all the case. And I really hope to bring out some things that, that, that prove that otherwise. But, uh, and I don't want to step on, on Mark's lesson, but we need to go back again to Romans 9. Romans 9, verses 6 through 13, it says, For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will, I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived one by man, even by your father Isaac. For the children, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. I want us to remember that, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So Mark covered a little bit of this two weeks ago, but this election was about God's promise to Abraham thousands of years ago. Before these boys were even born, God chose Jacob to fulfill his purpose. And it reached all the way to the Gentiles. It wasn't that he hated Esau, he, or that, and that he, he, it wasn't an emotional hate 
or love. Mark pointed out two weeks ago that Esau was very blessed. He was, he was a very blessed person, and his family was blessed. And I want to read this again. For the children not yet being born have done, uh, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand not of works, but of him who calls. So this is a more clarifying answer to that election of grace. It's of him who calls. The election has nothing to do with our works. It's nothing to do with our goodness, but it's all about God's purpose, as I said earlier. And it's about him showing his mercy to mankind. Let's read Romans 10, verses 11 through 13. Uh, Romans 10, 11 through 13 says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich upon all who call him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's that call, that word call again. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So who, who are the elect? If we can piece all, the, all three of these passages together, who are the elect? It's whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. And we know in Acts 22 verse 16, it, the commandment is to arise and be baptized, calling upon the name of the Lord. So calling upon the name of the Lord is being baptized for the remission of your sins. This means that anyone who will accept Christ and his teaching, those are the elect. People, though, again, they want to take this doctrine, take this word elect and say, take it completely away from what the rest of the Bible says and, no, and say, no, God has you know, elected some to damnation and, and to salvation. But I think Romans 10 really backs that up. We Again, context is so important in understanding these chapters. Titus 2, verses 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. To all men. And I think that this verse right here cuts right through the heart of a Calvinist argument. Grace, the grace of God that brings salvation is appeared to all men. So again, the election of grace is not according to works, but according to grace through what? Christ's blood. So the elect are those who accept Christ. And as we have read, the grace is offered to both Jew and Gentile. But we're going to see, and we've seen, the Gentiles have stumbled at that. Let's go back to Romans 11, uh, and we'll pick, up, pick it back up in verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. For the rest were blinded, just as it is written, God hath given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see, and bow down. Uh, and, and bow down their back always. So spiritual blindness has come on Israel. <clears throat> and we can go back and read in chapter 10, but it says they were ignorant of God's righteousness, and they were going about to establish their own righteousness. They, the, a lot of these Jews had not submitted themselves to God and His, and his will and what, and what these apostles were preaching. Again, I think that it points back to, to 
to these Jews and what they were struggling with. They were struggling with it, salvation being about works. They were struggling with their lineage back to Abraham. They couldn't accept Christ. It says he was a stumbling stone to them. <clears throat> you know, they didn't, and it, it's just, it baffles me that they couldn't see Jesus in, in all of the old prophecies that, that they had accessible to them. In Psalms 22, it says, they've pierced my hands and my feet. How could a Jew after, in Rome at that time, look back, you know, 20 or 30 years to Christ and, and not see how he was the Messiah? I lost some place now. Okay. And I think one of the, the biggest reasons is, and I'll go back to it, is, is they're, they're, they were so confident in how God had blessed them in the past. And what I found interesting in this passage, it said that David said, let their table be a snare and a trap. And if you go back to... I mean, he's quoting a, a scripture there, but if you go back, I think David was talking about his enemies there. He's, he was praying that his enemies, that their table would be a snare and a trap. And it, it's so interesting to me that Paul uses that uh, to compare the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, to, to enemies of David. But that word table, what, I mean, what do we think about when we, when we think of the word table? It's Maybe a place that we sit around and eat and we're, we're around uh, family full of blessings. And David is saying, let that table be a trap to my enemies. So I think that it stands to reason maybe that the Jews were blinded by the blessings that they had through Christ or, or through, through God. That the, four, the blessings that they had before Christ through God. They were still leaning on, on the ways that God had blessed them in the past. And they were proud of, of where they came from. They were proud that they, were, that they had been called God's people. <clears throat> you know, they were struggling with the fact that they, were, they believed they were a nation blessed by God, but they stumbled at Christ and his mercy being for everybody as well. And I believe that was, that was a real sticking point for a Jew at that time they, that hadn't accepted Christ. How can this man be the Messiah if he, if he didn't even come to save his own nation? They, they stumbled at that. Again, it goes back to, to what Paul was saying earlier in the chapter. Has God abandoned his people Absolutely not. In chapter 10, he said, it's my prayer that Israel would be saved. But what he said is that you can still be called children of God, but it's according to God's plan and his purpose, and it's through God's grace. He's saying salvation is still available to, he's saying to the Jews, salvation is still available to you, but you have to accept God's son. Let's pick it back up in verses 11, uh, Romans eleven eleven. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world, and their failures riches to the Gentiles, how much more is their fullness? For I speak to you, Gentiles, and as much as I am 
an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my mystery if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, that being Israel, and save some of them. For if their being cast away is a reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So as I said, the Israelites stumbled because their confidence was in the wrong place. But Paul was saying that salvation is being brought to the Gentiles to provoke some of the Jews to jealousy. Again, Israel was so hung up on their blessings that through being, uh, formerly being God's chosen people, that they failed to see the blessings that were still available through God and His Son. And Paul was saying and hoping that they could see the Gentiles and their conversion, conversion be provoked to jealousy through that. Let's look at Acts 13, verses 42. Acts 13, verses 42. Paul and Barnabas grew, uh, behold, and said, It was necessary that the word of God shall be spoken to you first, but since you reject it, the Jews, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, I have set you as a lot to the Gentiles, that you should be salvation to the ends of the earth. So, because of the Jews' rejection, salvation has come to the Gentiles for the purpose of what bringing Christ to all mankind, bringing salvation to everybody. <clears throat> so I think that so far, hopefully, we can see how Romans works in harmony with what, what Paul is saying in, in these other uh, passages, in, in this, this passage in Acts. The inclusion of the Gentiles is because of Israel's rejection, but it's also, it's all according to God's plan from the very beginning. At the very end of Romans 10, this, this, one, this verse hit me really hard, but at the end of Romans 10, he says, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient contrary people. God was still, he was saying, I, I am here with open arms ready to accept you. But many of them rejected his son. It goes back to Christ being a stumbling block to him. And, he, and he's saying, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. Have they fall? Have they basically, have they uh, strayed so far beyond recovery? And he's saying, absolutely not. It's good news for the Israelites, right? No, God is calling them in the same way that he's calling the Gentiles. Now let's look at verses uh, 16. Verse, verse 16 of Romans 11. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some are the branch, and, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them become partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you, that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, that being Israel. And you, the Gentiles, stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God not, did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on, whose, on those who fail severity, but towards you, goodness. 
if you continue in his if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, that being Israel, will be grafted back in. For God is able to graft them back in. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary and, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Okay. I understand going through that one time might be a lot, but basically what he is saying, what Paul is saying here is that the Jews were cut off because of their unbelief, and we, we covered that earlier. Next, the Gentiles, that wild olive tree, they were grafted back in, and they're, and they're now partakers of God's blessings. But what, at the end, he says Israel can be grafted back in. Just as, as Paul has been saying in the, in the verses beforehand. I'd like to look at Luke 20. Luke 20, verses 13. We'll read through verse 17. Luke 20, verse 13 through 17. This is Christ speaking. <clears throat> then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is their heir. Come, uh, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, will the owner of the vineyard, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. So he's speaking of Israel rejecting God. And then God then turning and giving those blessings and that promise to the Gentiles. But I want us to continue and see what Christ said. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. And then Christ looked at them and said, what is it, uh, what then this that is written, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Uh, and that had to have just been a dagger through through these Jews that were there. Uh, uh, he, he's quoting, and that's the thing too, is that he, after he, he gives this, this parable or, or, uh, or what have you to about the vine dresser to the Jews, he then goes and uses a passage in Psalms to, to back that up. And, and we see that the, the Jews were, uh, that, that really, really made them mad. And, but what he's saying is that I, it's already been prophesied that you're going to reject me. And as a result, my father's going to reject you as a nation, and he's going to give his blessings, your blessings, to the Gentiles. <clears throat> you know, earlier Paul said that Christ was a stumbling block, and that stumbling block has now become, well, Christ is saying that stumbling block has now become a chief cornerstone of God's purposes. Christ is saying, I've become that cornerstone. I, be I am that man that you're going to kill, and God is going to reject you. So I want to go back to the passage that, uh, the few verses that we just read in Romans 11. And I know chapters like this are sometimes really hard. They're difficult to add practical application in our life, but there's, there's some things that we can look at. Uh, as it pertains to our life 
And uh, when we look at these Jews and the mistakes that they made, in this passage, Paul begins to speak directly to the Gentiles with a warning. And he says, because of Israel's unbelief, they were broken off, but you stand by faith. And then he says, but fear. If God did not spare Israel for their unbelief, he will not spare you either. And that's a warning to, to us today as well, as Gentiles. You know, it's stated very regularly, regularly how, hard, how hard we are on the Jews and uh, their constant rejection of God and of Christ. But, you know, as, as I was going through this chapter and up to this point, I, I realized that there's some things that these Jews were struggling with that I, I, I might struggle with myself. First thing is works. We've talked about it already, right? But how often do we base our salvation off of what we do or we don't do in the kingdom of God? And I'm not saying that what we do isn't important, but or how often do we rate our worth to God based off our goodness or our mistakes? How often do we use our works as a way maybe to lift ourselves up and appear something to others? And that's, that's what the, where, the, where the Jews were at. That's what they were doing. They were using their works as a basis for, the ult, for their ultimate worth. And, and they were using it to lift themselves up. And it, it, works do matter. And the book of James says that I, I'll show you my faith by my works. But what's most important and what comes first is our faith in God. And our faith will be displayed by the way that we live our life each, each and every day. Next is Israel's confidence in, in God's former favor and blessings towards them. You know, I think we too can become very confident in, in the way that God has blessed us in our life. It's no doubt that we're, we're very blessed people. And we tend to forget where those blessings come from. And our confidence, uh, if we're not careful, can be turned uh, only to those blessings without remembering where they came from. And, and the last thing is Israel's con lack of confidence in Christ. And I think, if I'm being really honest, that's, that's something that I still struggle with on a daily basis. Sometimes I live my life going about as if Christ's blood is of, no, is of nothing to me. Because... Again, I put my confidence in myself, and I forget, and, and maybe I get bogged down in, in my own mistakes and, and, and trouble, and, and I always forget, I tend to always forget that Christ's blood is there. And I, I know I need more confidence in that blood. I need more confidence in that grace. I need to show my faith through the way that I live my life. Let's continue uh, again in Romans 11, and we'll look at verses uh, 25. <clears throat> For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, but that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all of Israel will be saved as it is written, the, the, deliverer, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Okay. Now it's all starting to come full circle. And 
You know, this is a passage that I, that I kind of struggled with, though, especially the part where it says all of Israel will be saved. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think that a lot of people probably struggle with that because, again, there's, there's doctrine and teaching in the religious world that, that looks at that and says, okay, well, that's pointing to premillennialism, and that's talking about the thousand-year reign where Christ is going to come back and save his people, save the nation of Israel. But that's not at all what he's saying. I want us to go back to Romans 9 and, and look at verse 6 again. And we're going to read it again. But this is not that the word of God has not taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called, that is, those who are children of the flesh. These are not children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. <clears throat> Again, he says, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. What does that mean? Well, let's look at further down in Romans 9, verses 25. He says, I will call them my people who were not my people. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's saying, those who will accept me and my son can be called my people, can be called my children. He goes on to say, and her beloved who is not, and her beloved who is not beloved, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they shall be called the sons of the living God. So first of all, Paul is saying, yes, much of Israel has rejected God, and, but, it's not, but it's not that the word has not taken no effect. For they, he said, they're not all of Israel who are the nation of Israel. I know I'm repeating myself. So he's speaking of spiritual Israel. I think that, that Mark, again, he talked about this a little bit. So that's what he means when he says all of Israel will be saved. He's talking about spiritual Israel. He's talking about uh, the children of God. And that's what it means to be a child of God today. Before Christ, to be a child of God meant that you were uh, in, in the nation of Israel. But again, salvation has been brought to all of the to to all man. <clears throat> he goes on to say that, uh, that the children of the flesh are no longer considered to be the children of God. Uh, in other words, just because you can trace your lineage back to Abraham, that doesn't make you a child of God anymore. But children of, of the promise—that means those who have accepted Christ—they're counted as the seed. And uh, if we're not going to read Romans 4, but I would really encourage everybody to go back and read Romans 4 and start in verse 13. And, and that's just, again, going to reinforce what we've already talked about. The salvation that you and I experienced today was all according to God's promise, and it started with Abraham. God chose Abraham and his grandson Jacob and the nation of Israel to fulfill his purpose. And that was ultimately to bring Christ and his mercy to everyone. So that we all could be called the child of God. We could all be made heirs. Ephesians 3 verse 6 says, The Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. 
So all along, God had a plan for those who would conform to the image of Christ that they would become his people. And, it, and he did it through thousands of years ago through the lineage of Abraham. Us as Gentiles, we can be grafted in to that olive tree, right? We can be made fellow heirs. So that's what it means when he, when he talks about all of Israel being saved. It's not the nation of Israel. And there's other passages that we could read to back this up. In Genesis 17, he says, you will be a father. He tells Abraham, you're going to be a father to many nations, not just, not just Israel. In Hosea 2, he said, I will have mercy on her who has not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And again, this uh, Acts 28, 27, it says, Therefore, let it be known that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Okay, let's go back to uh, verses 28 of, of Romans 11. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For you were once disobedient to God, God yet ye yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these, all, uh, these also have now been dis disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he, have, that he might have mercy on all. So Paul is, he, I think he's trying to kind of wrap this, this chapter up, and, and we'll see as we get into Romans 12 that he, he really does start to make a shift in, in his line of thinking and teaching here. So he's, he's wrapping up what his thoughts were uh, here. And uh, one thing, uh, first of all, he says, concerning the gospel, they're enemies to the Gentiles. He's speaking to the Gentiles for your sake. But concerning the election, they're beloved. Again, he's just reiterating, God still loves the nation. He loves Israel. He wants them to accept Christ. And he goes on to say that, that they, can obtain, they can still obtain this mercy. But I want to talk a little bit about Israel's disobedience. And he, he talks about Israel's disobedience being uh, bringing mercy to, to all. And he, he did that through their disobedience. And through Romans and, and really the rest of the Bible, we see other examples of God working in this way. He hardened Pharaoh's heart in order to ultimately fulfill his purpose. And I suppose we could talk about a little bit about God's purpose and his foreknowledge and how that coexists with, with man's free will. I honestly don't think I have a great answer to that question tonight. Ultimately, this chapter... And really, these last three chapters have, have revolved around God's purpose and his plans for the Gentiles and for the Jews alike, and it's that they would accept Christ. Let's uh, continue back in Romans, 30, Romans 11, 33, and we'll finish through the rest of the chapter. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath become his counselor? After going through these chapters, I would, I would definitely say amen to that. Or who has first given, or who has first given to him, or, and it shall, 
I'm sorry, and it shall be repaid unto him. For of him, through him, and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Amen indeed. You know, I would say after, uh, I think that, that Paul, he really hit the nail on the head as he's, he's wrapping these thoughts up. You know, the reason that God works the way he does, and, and some of the questions that we have are, are, are unsearchable. We don't understand. It says, who hath become his counselor? Who hath become God's counselor? And I, I was thinking about that in, 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 in terms of Pharaoh, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart because of Pharaoh's uh, basically spitting in God's face and lifting himself up to be his God. You know, through this book, he, he talks about Israel hardening, uh, or he's blinding Israel, and he's talk, talked about hardening Pharaoh's heart. We see in the New Testament about God saying that he, would, he gives people over to reprobate minds. People who want to involve their self in wickedness and reject God, God will give them over to it. He will give them over to whatever they desire if they're going to reject him. You know, a lot of these things, like the hardening or the, the blindness of Israel, why did God establish, why did he try, why was he using the blindness of Israel to, to, to fulfill his purpose? I think that uh, there, there's some answers, but there's also some questions to that. And, and truly, his ways are, are past finding out. That's all I have prepared this evening. Uh, again, I've really enjoyed this, this study. And again, I, like I said, I would really encourage all of us to, to study this chapter out. We cannot cover everything there is to know about this chapter and other chapters in Romans in, in a 30-minute lesson. We just can't. So uh, these, these things are, are very important. And the doctrines that come out of these chapters are... Uh, are, are very prevalent in the world today. So it's, I think it, it definitely is important that we, that we understand these chapters. So I definitely encourage everybody to, to study these things out further. We'd like to offer the invitation at this time. If there's one that, uh, that has been taught the words of salvation and wishes to be baptized and obey their Lord, we ask that you would come. Or if there's one that needs, uh, needs our prayers, that needs the prayers of the church, we ask that either one will come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.